As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Referees getting in the way, a six years too late defence of half and half scarves, defenders who just don't know how to celebrate goals, the very specific kind of knackeredness of being on a train on your way home from a game, Renato Sanchez's unfinished business, and deconstructing every unnecessary pre-match TV build-up ever. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.49 a month. That's 30% off the full price of the subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 85 of the Football Clichés podcast and the return of Mesut Harland Dix, where we ask our special guest about three hopefully very niche things they love about football and three equally obscure things that get their goat. I'm Adam Hurry and my co-host for this one is David Walker once again. Dave, um, I'm still reeling from this revelation mere minutes before we recorded that uh, Mr Wenger on Twitter has, and I quote, completely wasted a solid portion of the last 18 months compiling a playlist of every song featured on Sky Sports Premier League, nay, Premiership years, 1992 through to 2021. Do you want to hazard a guess at how long this playlist is? Uh, Christ, uh, 100 hours? Annoyingly close guess. Yes, it's 94 hours, 54 minutes. Imagine, 
I'm surprised you haven't done this already. It's a very you thing, this, isn't it? I, well, I, I compiled a sort of rough playlist of songs that were ever on Sky Sports before their coverage, but never quite had the, the spare time to do this. Um, to quite to kind of get a taste of the cross-section of music here, I want you to give me a random number between 1 and 1,375. <laughs> um... 876. 876. Just scrolling up furiously. Um, God, I hope it's something good. 876. It's Before I Fall to Pieces by Razorlight. Okay. What topical event in Premier League history could that have been? Um, <laughs> David Booth breaking his leg? No, the, the years don't, but the years don't <laughs> add up, work. does it? No, Razorlight yeah. was way beyond that. Um, who knows? But uh, uh, in summary, a sterling Luke, effort uh, from the boys. I was going to say Luke Nillis, but that's too, it's probably too early as yeah. well. Maybe a couple of years, but what an endeavour. What an endeavour. Mm. That's, your, that's your running sorted for the next <laughs> yeah. 94 hours. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, um, joining us for Mesut Harland Dicks today, he's following in the footsteps of the likes of Peter Drury and Dominic Diamond. The writer, author, well, same thing, really. And tweeter of whatever's at the front of his mind at any given moment. It's the Chesterfield-born vice ace, Joel Colby. Chesterfield-born vice ace. How much research did you have to do for that one? How how nice is it to have a second mention like that? I mean, you, have, you surely really, you have to... I mean, I don't uh, think I've had one before, especially as you say, writer and author. It's just the same thing, mm, isn't it? Definitely. And tweeter. It's just putting words out somewhere and hoping someone sees them. So, yeah, a bit of geolocation really helps boost the stats. Mm. We have met once IRL at the spiritual home of football. Do you remember? I vividly remember because for me it was a very important day because I was covering the last day of a fantasy football league, which was a very tense standoff Mm. between, I think it was just two men at the the top of it. And I believe it was decided by whoever captained a very random midfielder, I can't even remember who. But I had a phone interview with the guy who was in first place. And he was, you know, he was buzzing. He was talking about all these conversations he'd had with his brother. He was trying to keep his nerves on the final day. And then he fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't chase it up and be like, how do you feel now? But always, always wondered if, if, he, uh, if he was ruined on fantasy football for life mm. from that. I would be. A momentous day at Stockley Park, no less. Really is quite the place. It's just a, it's a smart place, isn't it? People don't really understand. Mm. It's just a very, very mm. smart, empty Glossy. place. Oh, did you really go to the canteen? Seen. Oh, did I? They did the tour and that was it. It was just like, here's a load of glass. We went outside and they had a big aerial and then the canteen. That was Is it. any room in the world more guaranteed to have a football table? than the canteen at Stockley Park. <laughs> this is Mesut Harland Dix. This is Joel Golby. Joel, tell us about your first obscure love of football. I don't know how obscure it is because I think everyone enjoys this when it happens, but I love it when the referee gets pelted by a football. But also <laughs> I crucially like it when the referee gets in the way of play, which is rarer, but it it does something break the fourth wall for me it makes me just very hyper aware that i'm watching an elite sport with a sort of amateur park run level jogger in the middle of it (laughs) and he can't quite keep up and it's really good as well when you're watching 
I think is there's a really out of sync level of how much it spikes my outrage levels as a viewer when the referee because they very rarely actually I hate referees I know we're not meant to I know we're meant to respect them and you know they do the job no one else wants to (laughs) but they are just a load of fucking retired coppers and school teachers (laughs) who've decided to somehow take it to a better level being (laughs) a dickhead I can't be asked of them I don't respect any of them but they don't normally get in the way you know in either of the final thirds it's incredibly rare that you'll see a referee actively you know get in the way of a, a tasty looking transition or anything mm. like that. It's a great point. They, imagine yeah. imagine a ref getting in the way of a court like a header at a corner. So what are you exactly. doing there? <laughs> <laughs> Why well, wouldn't they do they have to train their positioning? You know? Well, when this happens, um I mean there are several things that immediately come to mind when this unfortunate event happens. One of them you've picked up on straight away is they look incredibly awkward. We definitely need to talk about that. But the second one is it's clearly an un- very underappreciated part of refereeing, Joel which is where the hell are you supposed to run and stand? Um, mm. I just feel like I would get very, I would get too close if I was a referee. I just, oh, they, they obviously do get trained to do it, but I just can't imagine how that training could possibly manifest itself. I, I would just love to see four referees on a, on like a training pitch, put the cones <laughs> out and, uh, and try and try and stay out of the way of the ball for as I can long gather, as possible. Dave, there's a lot of run arcing involved. Referees mm. do a lot of arcing runs to steer clear of everything. I can't remember which player this was, but I, I think I was, I was doing a podcast with with, um, with Michael Cox last year, and he referenced a player that said publicly that he, he was like a defensive midfielder, and he said, I, I always try and stay pretty close to the referee because I know that he's always going to be roughly in the right sort of place to be able to see everything. And- That's interesting, because mm. one thing I, I... one One very outrageous pub opinion I had once that led to a whole evening of being shot down is the idea of the 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 players who never quite made it as as a really top elite player and also could never pivot into punditry are very well suited to be referees you know they they've got the 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 physical health necessary they sort of have the um uh the dressing room respect Mm, that i think mm, a lot of referees don't get i think but when we talk about positioning I assume every referee who's trained themselves to get out of the way of the ball can't turn that back on and play like a decent night at a Sunday league level. Once you've <laughs> learned to avoid a football, you're never going to get hit by a ball again. And I suppose players have, who've spent 20, 25 years in academies and on the pitch and in training situations now can't not be in a good position to receive a ball. So they'd actually be terrible referees. Okay, so we've established that they clearly are trained in the art of steering clear of play generally. But when it when it simply is, when it does become completely unavoidable, Dave, I'm very interested in the very particular evasion techniques of a referee. I feel like it, it, mm. they have got better at it. I mean, there's um, there's a there's a matador-esque quality sometimes <laughs> <laughs> to when they sort of just move their lower body out the way of the oncoming ball or a player, but sort of still wave the arms as you come play on. The kind of traditional move, Joe, would have been the kind of awkward sort of jump over the ball, sort of like like they've been scared yeah. by a mouse in a cartoon. Yeah, it's it's um, it's the same motion you do when two dogs tangle themselves <laughs> by your legs in a park but they're you know it's what you do physically with your leg but without without the outside context there's there's also something to a sort of uh 
quite cartoonish sort of hip swerve, a very pelvic move, which I think is a bit a bit of a affectation, a bit of a flourish. I don't think they need to do that. Has Mike but Bean yeah, done a has he done an extravagant dummy at some point? Am I just am I just yeah, I, I feel like he must have done. Um, he may, maybe he hasn't, but really he's sort of doing what he should do. Yeah, yeah. Final point um, on this, on this, Dave. Now, back in the day, and f- and for quite a long time, in fact, when the ball hit the referee, it was just play on. It was just an occupational hazard, and it was one of those very few moments where it was absolutely fine and socially acceptable to go absolutely batshit at a referee, and then they just have to mm. take it. And that was fine. Oh, that was great... get out of the way! Yeah, you could literally, literally call him a fucking cunt in the middle of the game. <laughs> and he would just say, oh, I, didn't know, I couldn't do anything. And then it was kind of, yeah, it's because everyone, everyone's invested here and everyone was fine. And that seemed like a decent state of affairs. And now it's a drop ball. Rubbish. That is rubbish, isn't it? It is. It really is. Because there's still there's, people who whine about there's it. still like a little part of me that forgets and I and I, I my my blood pressure goes up and I get ready to berate the ref and I remember, oh no, no, it's a drop ball. Yep. So calm down it's everyone. Just, just a sanitized, you know, level playing field, woke flake version of <laughs> Premier League football, in it. Oh, and it's not even a good drop a ball. They've ruined the drop ball as yeah, well. It's, it's just an uncontested, uncontested drop ball. Uncontested. Rubbish. But, what I would say is that what we've lost in terms of socially acceptable going batshit at referees, we have partially gained back, Joel, in the sense that it's one of, again one of those few situations in football where it's unifying banter. The referee will have a little joke with players. And I have to confess, I don't even know if this is a bad thing to confess. I like it when that happens. I like it when all the different parties in a football game demonstrably get on for a few seconds. Quite like it. It's fine with me. It's a nice little crack in the atmosphere, the sizzling atmosphere of a a high-pressure football game. And yeah, they're they're doing little joke arm gestures. Referees very arm gesture focused, even even in moments of of light-hearted banter. And you might see a, a captain have a little titter, a little, a little shoulder tap, mm. go it wrong there, ref. All players really, really do want to have a little joke with the referee. I, I'm convinced of this. Yeah. It's, um, it's yeah, it's because the referee is dad, and uh, we we all want his approval. We all want to make him laugh over a, a pint of mild, and that's as close as football this is to get every to. level as well. Absolutely every yeah, level every, of the game. Yeah. Convinced of this. Right, um, let's move on to your second one, which I think is the most precisely 2015 football talking point I've ever heard. Half and half scars. Oh, lovely. Okay. Tell us what uh, is, Tell us what it is you, in fact, love about half and half scarves. Well, there's a few things to love about half and half scarves, I think. One of them is the, the, the pure anti-aesthetic of them, because they're they're just mass knitted at very short notice by people who have no design intentions at all they're just some the the guy who's decided that he's going to be outside the stadium that day just slinging about for seven or eight quid so there's there's no consideration about like color clash or anything like that it's just we get the information on there we get the colors of kits there's a zigzag in the middle (laughs) You know, we ride. <laughs> Whoever it is at the at the half and half knitted scarf factory can sort out the kerning and all that bullshit. All I know is if it's got tassels on it and it's two very ugly colours, it's half and half and it's good to go. I, I like that because that's a visual language that you can't learn. You can't teach, you can't parody. It's a bit like, you know, when Matisse and Picasso had their little phase of trying to draw like children. You can't. 
you can't access that level of either up or down that level of, of of mental intention so that's one two they are fundamentally a very good uh, memento from a game because it's just a fun thing to have it can go on a wall it's something like or the that. ceiling of a pub oh, in a foreign country oh, Absolutely, yeah. Completely, not even the country related to even any yeah, of the players. You just go into a weird grotto-like pub in <laughs> Albania or whatever, and you see, like, oh my god, Chester City versus <laughs> Coventry. When? And that's good as yeah. well because it's a reminder you there. And also, I, I just don't get anything out of um, match day. What they call programs. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get onto those. They're boring. It's just a load of generic. Oh, I hope we win today. You know, <laughs> a really sanitized interview of a left back. A load of adverts for local businesses you've never heard of. I don't know why anyone will collect those in the modern age. They're boring. We are definitely getting into programs later on. I've got lots of beef with those. Um, Dave, now if if Joel had nominated this as something he hated, I think I would have asked him to kind of replace it because it, it it feels a bit passe to hate half and half scaffs now because it. It, it became this kind of weird, unexpected symbol of the against modern football movement, which, which as, even as a concept feels really sort of slightly dated, tantalisingly dated, sort of 2015-y. It, it, it's actually, it's a bit pompous to get annoyed by half and half scars, even if we ever actually did. I don't think anyone really did, did they? No, I, I don't know. I don't think so. But they're just, they're, they're harmless. And, and also like mainly, probably mainly bought by kids. Mm. Like, and tourists, you, you know, yeah, in an entirely neutral context. Yeah, I mean, Old Trafford is is a place where I think I've seen the most half and half scarves, and you know, you very much fear for the half and scarf, half and half scarf merchants. Yeah, in in the in the pand- post pandemic world, to be fair. good usage. Have, have, have they held on? I hope so. That was going to be my third point. Is is I like them because that movement of. That, that strange moment of seething anger, which you're right, it feels very 2015, but only now do we just enough have a, the, the crack of light between those years and now. That It's a bit like one day you, you look at a photo of yourself and you go, oh, the fashion that I was adhering to at that moment in time was appalling. Yep. But you can't see that two years after the photo you can't quite see it five, but on six, you're like, oh, God, did I really think that fringe and that T-shirt combination was a good idea? It's a bit like when, whenever I look at a picture of uh, anyone from the band Steps <laughs> wearing jeans in their heyday, you kind of go, okay, <laughs> we've moved on from there now. And it's a bit like hating half and half scarves. So you're absolutely right. Th- that was a moment in time, you know, they... They were always there, just simmering on on the merchant stalls. <laughs> Come sample my wares, <laughs> football fans. And then, you know, you would buy them for a child and go, you know, I have not committed a moral atrocity there. Good. And then you'd go on Twitter later and find out that actually you had. And then, yeah, it just became a, a sort of strange 18-month moment. Speaking of Twitter. And now we've moved speaking on. Speaking of Twitter, I think I, think I may have found, like, the, the last resting place of true half-and-half scarf hate. It is a now-suspended Twitter account called Half Scarf Twat, which is just <laughs> cruel, isn't it? It's just, I think once you see that, and I, I haven't seen the content because obviously it's now now lost to the bits of the internet, but I just think yeah, this is just cruel. I, I would proffer up a side theory mm. that, I mean, clearly who, the admin for Half and Half Twats is trying to dig into 
the same market as the full kit wankers. Yeah, 100%. Which, again, I would sort of offer we've moved a little bit on from. I still don't think there's a context outside of playing football, and even then, that it's acceptable. I agree there are fewer contexts where it is acceptable for an adult human being, you yeah. know, someone who can vote to wear a full It's clearly kit. the socks. It's the socks. It's the Pulled socks. But, um, but it doesn't bother me as much as it, it used mm. to. I think I've moved on. I think we've all moved mm. on a little yeah. bit. But yeah, the, the half and a half kit wanker guy, he weathered that storm and, and now I have nothing but respect <laughs> for him. The storm. You, certainly you, can't, did. you can't pull football socks all the way up without wearing shin pads. No. That's, the, that's the problem. Even footballers that. in like kit launches mm. wear shin pads. Do not not wear shin pads. Um, it, it, it makes your legs look all wrong, very skinny and uh, very much not canonical. I was looking for some examples of some sort of charmingly pitched half and half scarves. Dave, I really, really like this one. This is from Leicester versus West Brom in 2017 and presumably trying to skirt around this copyright issue that half and half scarf merchants so often encountered. This one simply had Craig Shakespeare, pipe symbol, Tony Pulis. <laughs> what a collector's item. <laughs> Who's got that? Who's got that? Yeah, that's amazing. Ah, Craig Shakespeare. <laughs> that is so of a moment, of a very strange moment in a, an almost forgettable season. Craig Shakespeare being the Leicester manager, like... That was a very strange four months that very few people actively remember. That is proper sort of Wikipedia one-line paragraph. Also, Craig Shakespeare briefly. Amazing. Manager of the defending Premier League champions at the time. In the Champions (laughs) League, I think. He probably would have been, wouldn't he? (laughs) Yeah. The most tracksuited man I can ever conceive of. (laughs) Double, triple tracksuits. Should have been a half-and-half tracksuit. (laughs) And a cap. <laughs> and some very very white trainers, and then he would have had the Shakespeare Pulis, Shakespeare X Pulis um, outfit. Wonderful, Joel. Okay, let's hear about your third obscure love of football. I really like when defenders don't know how to celebrate. <laughs> Is it the purest goal celebration of all then? Because that's how it should be, shouldn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what I always think. Is is I I've only once. You know, I'm not a good footballer, and I've I've never played it too regularly so I don't have a lot of experience of scoring goals in even like a five or a, a, a seven aside level but you know once you've paid your dues once someone is writing down a form table you know the goals start to matter more and I've probably scored about four in my entire career wow. and three of them I felt nothing <laughs> but the first one that I ever got in pandemonium what did you do? I took I took my top off and then ran the entire length of the pitch, which was obviously very strange in a, a, a league where games would go seven five or something like mm. that. So no one even no one <laughs> even did like an ironic point when they scored. They, they might do a, a small to themselves fist, but that's Definitely it. Small to myself so my brain chemicals, my body, my nervous system didn't really know what to do with the feeling, and what came out was a very pure, embarrassing, strange jubilation. And I, I can't imagine how much that feeling is amplified, you know, at the absolute highest level of the game in front of 50,000, 60,000 people, or whatever. But, you know, Shearer, obviously, one of the best just for it got it done, arm in the air, iconic, normal, he never deviated, great. But by then, the feeling must have dulled a little bit. You know, his, his last few goals against mid 
table teams or whatever, they can't have felt as good as like that opening hat trick he did. But when a defender does it, especially after what you know, one of those weird defenders who's like not scored in 120 yeah. games or something yeah. like that, some weird five year. <laughs> And they probably don't score much in training either. So, yeah, they get a scrappy header looped in on, on a corner. And there's always a weird pause as well. They don't quite... They don't know what like, you, they you, don't, you basically have just described what happened when Watford's Lloyd Doyle... Yeah, I knew, knew Lloyd scored, Doyle was coming. ...scored his, his first ever goal. And he hadn't scored in... Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of matches. And it, it got sort of, there was this mythical thing, oh, he's never even scored in training. He never even scored for the under-10s. Like, he's never, ever scored ever in football. And he scored this amazing diving header, yeah. like really old-school diving yeah. header against QPR. And he did what you just said. He he ran the wrong way. Tom Cleverley was playing for us at the time and had to turn him around and say, no, the home fans are that way, Lloyd. He just he completely It couldn't lost get more head. clueless than that. It couldn't get more mm. innocently, I don't know what to do despite having done the most fundamental act in professional football than that. It's great as well because, you know, we live in a time where every act on the football pitch is captured in 4K HD from 60 different angles. And even amongst all that, if you think of the sheer raw data of a single football match, you know, even a a mid-table, no-one-cares-who-wins kind of thing, gigabytes of data about that. And still, you are seeing athletes trained to an incredibly high level and and they rarely fuck up even the way they fall over when you see it in slow motion it, it makes there's something elegant to it it sort of makes sense you know they've trained themselves to compact in whatever way so it doesn't hurt their body that badly and then you see a defender just clonk their head on something <laughs> they didn't quite mean to and the and the ball just sort of spins and skids and skips and you know the goalkeeper's still reaching valiantly everyone else is doing their right poses and this guy in slow motion is just like you know, they do a very strange face. They don't know what to do with their arms. It's brilliant. I sense, I sense this kind of ongoing theme that you're enjoying sort of people out of their, you know, out of their sort of professional comfort zone. So that's that's nice. Um, yeah, we, I, I like to see the edges. Yeah, good. No, that's fine. It's exactly what you're in the right place. Um, we asked our <laughs> listeners for kind of equivalent examples to the to the ultimate example that is doily. Um, Solius, this is a really good one. John O'Shea chipped the goalkeeper against Arsenal once. And tried to play it cool, but you could tell he was utterly bemused as to how he got himself into that situation. It was like someone had quantum leaped into his body and was trying to figure out what was going on. <laughs> uh, that is a really good one because, I mean, I feel like every footballer should have an instinctive celebration in them. And yet he just sort of stood there. I think maybe the quality of the goal, Dave, didn't help. He really didn't understand what he had just done. Absolutely. It was a hybrid, wasn't it? Yeah, with think. his left foot as well. I mean, I don't yeah. know. He's one of those players who you're not really sure what footed he is. No, no, a no-footed player, perhaps. Um, but yeah, yeah, an amazing moment. And oh, oh, you, mentioned, um, you mentioned Shearer. I just want to go back to that for a second. When did it actually become a thing? I bet that I bet there was like a point where it wasn't a thing and it sort of started becoming, you know, it, it was the Shearer celebration. Do you ever think he really wanted to do something else? But it's like, no, nah, I've just got to put my arm up in there again. I couldn't pinpoint a year, and I'm now in very inclined to go and do the research on this, but there was a point, maybe sort of late 90s, early 2000s, where the hand became very knowing. He almost like he looked at it and went, this is what I do. And, it, and there's mm. a kind of a sort of wry smile on his face saying, that, you know, it, it, there wasn't, I think as, as Joel implied, there wasn't, there wasn't, the passion had gone and it all became a little bit mechanical. And uh, I, yeah, the, I would suggest it was after he got that injury where he had to sort of rebuild his game 
And then every goal after then was still like, it doesn't matter. I don't need legs. I can still give me the ball wherever you want. It'll come off my head. It'll come off. I don't care. I'm just a big set of thighs and I know where the goal is. <laughs> so you became sort of post-goal scorer. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, there's a kind of close cousin of the innocently clueless goal-scoring defender, which is, and as Danny Jones points out, it always makes me laugh when a short player scores a header and runs away rubbing their head in surprise. I, this is a <laughs> slightly more annoying version um, because it's less innocent because it's, it's a little bit, oh, look at me. But yeah, short players scoring headers and then sort of pointing at their head saying, look what I've done. Or left or right-footed players scoring with their weaker foot and then pointing at it. And I mean, if you look at it in isolation, Joel, fucking weird. Like, it's just weird behaviour. We see that I would put in the hate panel because you've been trained to play this stupid game for decades. Yeah. So you should be able to score with your left Excellent. foot. That shouldn't be a joke to you. <laughs> yes, it shouldn't shut, be a joke. Shut up. That sh- I'm sorry to say that should be a straight yeah. red. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, Joel, uh, we've covered all the things you love about football, um, the increasingly weird things you love about football. Uh, Tell us about the first thing you hate about it. Um, I quite like this one. I'm fully on board. Uh, Going to games. (laughs) (laughs) The purists. I can hear them logging off already. All the purists. (laughs) Well, all the purists. uh, One thing that very nearly made it to my list was, um, you know, there's like 92 stadium weirdos. So we've just lost another 40% oh, of the listenership. Like weird. Just getting, there's so many hobbies to have. Fucking hell. To go into Carlisle for no reason isn't one of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I decided a few years ago, and obviously I should add the context that I am an Arsenal right. fan. So that does colour my opinion somewhat. It colours every opinion I have about football, but probably most especially this one. But I just realised I didn't like going to games. And it's because of all the performative, you know, crowd membership you have to do. Because I like to just sit and watch it. And I don't, you know, someone's yelling behind you. I'm a very tall person, so I have to constantly be aware of if I'm standing up, if I'm in someone's way, or if I'm sat down. I've never been a season ticket holder, so I'm always going on like someone's brother's ticket and there's some strange man who's like bald on top and a mullet down the side who's like... (laughs) You know, they're saying something that... It sounds like the component parts of English, but it's not coming out like a sentence, but they're trying to say that you you're in the wrong seat or your foot is slightly wrong or you, you've done something wrong against some ancient runes and rituals that they invented Actually, in 40 years ago. I'll stop you there. Um, very underrated anxiety, which is the 
am I in the wrong seat anxiety? Now, I realise that people who go mm. to football games regularly in the same seat probably don't feel this. But if you only go to one, one or two every now and then, the anxiety that you're sitting in the wrong row slash block slash seat number, it's overwhelming. Constant. Mm. It's constant, 90 mm. minutes. And also, one time we had that because uh, a, a friend of mine we used to go to a lot of England games in Wembley. He'd always come down on the train, we'd make a big night of it, and he was getting fed the tickets from some guy who used to go to all the away games, all the England away games. Like he, That would be his every holiday. He went to Brazil for a friendly, blah, blah, blah. But he wouldn't go to the home games. It took us a very long time to figure out why. Because once, he bought the home ticket, drove down, checked into Wembley walked in then walked out again and then drove home without watching the <laughs> game Christ. so he used to palm these tickets mm. off onto us because he needed to have yeah. a, a a buying streak yeah. to be able right. to yeah, yeah. get the away tickets for brazil yeah. we realized he must have just got banned from wembley mm. for like spark you know punching a horse or something <laughs> like that and so we couldn't really fees so us scanning in and saying we were there on his behalf worked but one time we just you know we just it's an England friendly. Who the fuck cares? Yeah, so true. we got drunk. We actually watched the kickoff in a in a pub in central London, and then got the tube up to when we got there just for the start of the second half. And then yeah, we're just walking down lines and rows of actual England fans, and obviously the nutty ones who who would who would want to buy in the section where they'd they'd get the away day tickets. And yeah, we got a lot of stick just for not having been there since the first minute because someone had spotted our two empty seats and then they'd taken them and then Law of the Jungle demanded that they were no longer yeah, our right. seats and became a whole thing. And yeah, you're always sat in the wrong place. You know, you can't get any good food or drink. You're always fucking clapping because <laughs> a thousand people around you are clapping. Like, what am I clapping for? I'm clapping off a sub. Does it matter? You can't You can't really sit down because there's people stood in front of you. People are going for pisses on mental schedules, so you're always standing, mm. you're letting yep. people pass really and they're doing the little penguin waddle past you. And getting <laughs> getting out is bullshit as well. Like, walking back to Finsbury Park Station yeah. from Arsenal Stadium is just the most tedious 40 minutes. Also, you, again, this is an Arsenal thing, but, like, no one's happy even if they win. So, like, yeah, we won 2-0, but Kieran Tierney really should not have misplaced that pass in the first half. And I'm still talking about it while I'm in a crowd of people who don't know where the tube is. It's It's crap. I've shouted aloud for no reason, so my voice is hoarse. And also, fundamentally, you only, you know, maybe this is just, you know, the, the, the spoiled prince in me, but you get to see it from one fucking angle. There's all, the, all the screens are at the wrong angle. If you want to see a replay of a goal, everyone's turning around and trying to look up like that. That's crap. And you barely get any additional insight. <laughs> you should insight. have worked that one out before you go, but fine. Fine. They should have worked it out when they built the stadium. <laughs> That's not on me. They're spending billions of pounds on this and I can't see a replay on a screen. That's bullshit. Sorry, I'm, not inter- I'm getting carried away. No, this is great. I know it's not that kind of podcast. No, 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 absolutely fine. No, I'm not interested in a balanced view here. Now, Dave, I don't want you to debunk any of this. Um, mm. As someone who presumably quite likes going to football games, uh, I want yeah. you to tell me what, what, is, what is the most fundamentally annoying thing about from start to finish, door to door, the most annoying thing about going to a football game? I think, I think, I think as Joel mentioned there, getting out, going home, getting out, particularly if it's, 
you know, I'm leaving Wembley. If you're ever at Wembley for a game, is a is a disgraceful experience. And you know, you get. I mean, you literally do get kettled by police officers as you're going back to towards the station. But even, you know, going from from Vicarage Road, Watford. It's a tiny ground in in shoved in in between houses and allotments and a hospital, and takes ages to get up one side of the stadium. Getting on the tube with loads of people is is always terrible. It's like it's I've accidentally found myself at an eight a.m. rush hour, which I do my best to avoid during the week. But here I am. Um, so yeah, I think that would that would definitely be, I think, the worst the worst part of it for me. I just think, I mean, obviously, it's such a romanticised thing going to games, quite rightly so, Joel. But I mean, there are glimpses of the match day experience that I see in other people that make me think. Oh, I'm not really up for this on a regular basis. Um, and I'll give you the vignettes that I'm thinking of. I'm on the train home from something else. A late shift at work, just gone out, whatever. And I see people on, on the way home from a game, on the tube or on the train. And I just and, and I look at them and they could have, you might not even know the result of the, of the game they went to. Maybe you do. Maybe they did win. Every single time I think, you look so knackered. Like... There is a very specific type of nakedness that is I'm on the last, finally on the last leg home of this journey from this mm. game I've been to, home or away. And there's a very specific yeah. type of tiredness. And it, it, it's worse because they've moved so many games around. If every game was just <laughs> proper, if they never changed a game, it would have been fine. But if everything was a 3pm Saturday kickoff, at worst, you're getting that, that shitty last train with a load of other knackered people who've got sore hands from clapping and no voice from shouting and have had a very weird piss schedule on a £7 pint. They're all going home at like 7pm and that's fine. You can have a bath, you can chill out, you can watch match of the day. But when you're going home at like 10.30 because you've watched Arsenal <laughs> just about draw in the Europa League... At that point, you go, was this evening really worth it? I have one life and I've spent a Thursday doing this. Now, in this kind of extended scenario as well, just sort of watching people slowly slither home from a game, Dave, there was always one person. I, and I have to say, it's usually a child, but it, but it is always just one person still reading the match day programme on the way home. Like, there's still something in there that's interesting. And I, I say this, I mean, I, I, as Joel alluded to earlier, I think matchday programmes are you know, a baffling publication at the best of times. I say this as a man who once had a piece published in the matchday programme of Loughborough Dynamo circa 2008. So, you know, I'm speaking from both sides of the fence here. But matchday programmes, they're just, they are just a weird kind of publication. I don't think people really sort of dig into them. They're just, mm. they're a means to an end, aren't they? I've got loads next to me right now. Right, fine. Good. Um, and they are largely souvenirs of like big games I've been to or I've worked at. But let's um, let me just pick one at random, and just like you did with the playlist at the start of the show, give me a number, and I'll and I'll tell you what um what article we get. Okay, so this is a good one. Man City against Leicester, yeah, in the the company game where he smashed it in and they won the league. I mean, the basically. covers are always nice. Just, I give them give that. Me, just 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 say stop. Stop. Like what have we got? Oh. Okay, no, we can't use that one. It's a, it's someone. It's a, it's an obituary. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, Easy See? Why would you want that? Oh, oh, I'm it? really up for the game. I hope we win the title today. Dead. <laughs> he's what? dead. Here's a guy you've never heard of who's dead, by the way, and he's got, by the looks of it, less than two hundred words. Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> poor, poor guy. Uh, um, yeah. Um, so, so if you're a, if you're you're a match day program collector, clearly. 
Um, so my only question to you, the first time I've ever had the chance to ask this to someone is, how do you resist the, opp- the, the, the overwhelming full body physical temptation of scrolling it up into, into a scroll? On the, on the way home. How do you keep it intact? How does anybody do this? I One of my earliest memories, actually, of like one of the things I remember vividly from first going to football matches with my dad was that he, he had, like, he would always find a way of shoving it into his pocket somehow. He used to have massive pockets in his massive coat and he would sort of find a way of getting this, what, A5 booklet into into the pocket. And still, without without compromising the integrity of it too much, Right. So the answer is big dad pocket. Big dad yeah. pocket. <laughs> BDPs. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, problematic um, image already of that big coat um, with pockets big enough for a match day program. Joel, I mean, would you therefore describe yourself as an armchair fan? Yeah, a proud yeah. one. I mean, even during the Euros, you know, obviously as the excitement built and it's England and you've got to go to the pub because the pubs are open. There are a lot of games where I, I managed to navigate not going to the pub. Mm. I pretended to people that I had plans and stuff right. because I like to watch the game in, you know, alone, not an intellectual way or anything like that, but I like to actually see mm. it without someone shouting next to me or like the busyness of trying to all, you know, someone's carrying a pizza through a crowd mm. and stuff like that. <laughs> It's like I'm not actually really watching the game. I'm just sort of yelling, and then and then someone you've not seen for a while is trying to ask you how work is going. Mm. It's like mm. not now. Yeah. If everyone watched in silence, the pub would be a great place for <laughs> me to watch football, but they don't. Yeah. So I just stay on the sofa. It's just preferable for me. Yeah, armchair fan wants a pejorative term, but I think as, as long as you take it seriously, it's fine. It's just mm. a pure mm. form of fandom as any other. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, let's move on to your second one. Um, This is very, very specific. (laughs) Let's see how this one goes. People still going on about that Renato Sanchez pass that he made to the advertising (laughs) hoarding. Right. Uh, First question then, potentially terminal to this section of the podcast, but do people (laughs) still go on about that Renato Sanchez pass to the advertising board? I knew you'd ask this because, (laughs) yes, I I did the same Twitter search that I know you've just done. And it doesn't seem that people are saying it with the right keywords or anything (laughs) like that. But I know that it was a big thing when, you know, obviously his loan at Swansea didn't go quite well. Renato Sanchez is, is, when his career is done, whatever happens with it, he's going to have one of those fascinating arcs. Because if he gets the, the summer transfer that it looks like maybe he'll get this year, if he does well, 
the arc is already there for him. If he does badly, we're expecting it. Mm. We're ready for his transfer to a strange Turkish club. <laughs> Whatever happens with him, he'll be potential that even got even got spoiled or finally became realized after a dip. So obviously he had that amazing 2016 breakthrough. He was great in the Euros. He had the transfer to Bayern. Then that just really quite strange loan to Swansea City, which when I was preparing my fantasy football team at the start of that season, I was convinced would work out. I was like, well, this is this is 5.5 million well spent. And yeah, it didn't happen for him for whatever reason. And he's he's gone away and quietly rebuilt his form up. And now people are talking about him like he's an elite prospect again, even though he's still only about 22 or 23 or whatever. But now that he's sort of, he went and he built and then he's come back into the consciousness a bit. I have seen rumblings, and I can't say where, about people just remembering the time he made a pass to an advertising <laughs> holding. Can't say I, where, I, but maybe, fine. maybe it's just a little bit of like for me it's 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 quite a exemplar form of that kind of big account Twitter banner, mm. you know what I yeah, mean? The kind definitely. of uh, cross-eyed laugh emoji, remember this, yeah, yeah. kind of, uh, whenever a footballer retires, they're like, he was a giant, here's four minutes of highlights, like that kind of, that language of, of football banter, which is, again, sanitized. It's, it's the same banter across a hundred accounts. And it, it feels like that. I think people, people still remembering Renato Santos as, that guy who made an incredibly understandable pass <laughs> to an animated advertising hoarding, which A, sh- they shouldn't have animations that look like someone running down Completely the side agree. of the pitch. And it shouldn't be in the same colour as the kit of the team that's playing. It's actually, in the situation of Renato Santos passing a ball to an advertising hoarding, I believe it was a Carabao advertising holding yeah they're the ones who should have been on the block for it, that not him yeah, the lawyers we've inverted the dynamic we we should have lawyered up it, it was bad for the game and you know we talk about the referee getting in the way of the game what about carabo's brand yeah. because that got in the should way of that ball. game and that and nothing would have ever <laughs> come of it nothing would ever have come of it i've just rewatched it i and because i I'd, I'd kind of forgotten the context no shit yeah, you're loads of people have completely right and it, it goes just, just Straight to the straight to the the red uh, the the well it's like a it's like a skull. Are we are we certain that he actually was confused by the advertising order? Because there is a player standing about five <laughs> yards to the. Is it? Did he just fuck the was pass it, up? Just and we just pass? is it just a bad pass? And we've unfairly criticised. You know, he's unfairly been remembered the as timing, the man that passed the advertising. The timing hoarding. is a huge signifier to it. I mean, for me, it seems a little bit too much of a coincidence, but. I, I want to believe it. I think this is part, probably part of its supposedly enduring appeal, despite no evidence of it being so. But, um, People still talk about it, this, okay? Yeah. <laughs> People are talking about it. Just, I can't show you any evidence of where and who, but they're doing it. They're out there. People just want to believe it, Dave, is basically the uh, the summary here. People want to believe it happened, and therefore it, it did. That is it. I'm, I'm In a way, in a way, I'm glad you raised it, because I feel like we've put the issue to bed. <laughs> the thing that nobody was still quite talking about has finally been laid to rest but fortunately you're going to storm back with a frankly sensational third shout i'm looking forward to talking about this one tv build-up simply that the game should start on tv oh you're against kickoff. it completely yeah <laughs> no no yeah 
Listen, I know this podcast will be happy without years of TV of people talking about mm. football for two <laughs> hours before it fucking kicks off. But it's 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 rubbish. I'd, I've never learned anything no, okay, that's from fine. any of that's it. That's fine. And it as well, because it, it's all that sort of hyper-produced TV TV, <laughs> that you know, that real bombastic sort of American-inflected sky stuff. Yeah. Um, with with a little, you know, a little fun little five-minute film where someone you've never seen before in your life has gone to a training pitch and done a really softball <laughs> interview with some player. So softball. Like, so softball. And the player, you, you see the player doing a little photo shoot, but you never see the photos from that as if he's just, that's part <laughs> of his day, he's just doing his photo shoot. And then he, inter- he sits down in front of a, a big white backdrop, but you can still see a bit of grass on the outside of it. And then he, he goes, yeah, no, the lads have been ribbing me for that one, but we're hoping. And it's that's all it is. And then you go back to the studio, it's a load of people just talking about, oh, let's really slowly watch the last time they conceded a goal. <laughs> Will they do the exact same thing tonight, Gary? Probably not. No. Right. Okay. So... Again, no insight, and then someone just fails to work a big iPad for a bit. It's rubbish. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I grudgingly accept your point that we never learn anything from here. But, Dave, would you argue that that's not what it's for? The pre-match build-up is almost, by definition, an anticipatory thing, especially to get your juices flowing. And a broadcaster, that's kind of they have a vested interest in getting your juices flowing. They want you to stick around, right? Absolutely, yeah. But I, I do... Having in, in a past life, having been one of the people responsible for putting together pre-match build-ups yep. on on the radio in this instance, which is probably even, oh, even worse. Fuck that. Even worse <laughs> than TV. Yeah, um, you, you you put a hell of a lot of effort into yeah coming up with packages and what's the angle for today and when was the last time they played and can we speak to the former player? Blah blah blah. You know, tactical analysis and all this stuff. And as good as the content may well have been. I think all of us involved in the programs deep down inside knew that, that really this there's just no point to this is there we may as well as as Joel said we may as well just turn it on at 258 oh, or whatever what it is shame. before kickoff what a shame. okay so from your professional perspective then Dave uh, I'm going to give you three scenarios and I want you to tell me what what you think is an acceptable amount of build up for each of them so a mid table premier league game I'm saying I am saying crystal palace away to Aston Villa, how much build-up would you want from that on Sky on a Sunday afternoon? How much would you really need? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Brutal. Mm. Okay, so next up. I think, I think a tight 12. You, can do <laughs> tight 12. Mm. you can't do it in in less than 15-minute chunks. No, sorry. Okay, Dave, top of the table clash. So, you know, proper Super Sunday humdinger. Assuming no other games around it. Come on. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that justifies, that does justify an, an hour. Mm. Uh, having committed to this um, brief format here, I'm going to see it through. Dave, tell me about FA Cup final, because, I mean, that's a furiously debated amount of build-up. I want it to start at 8am on the dot. Yeah. Did it ever start at 8am on the <laughs> yes. dot, though, really? Yes. Did it really? If you factor in football-adjacent <laughs> programming, Yes. So I don't know, I don't know, BBC Breakfast talking to the chef from Wembley counts as build-up. Okay. So I want seven hours of build-up. I mean, I'm giving you an hour again oh, for the FA Cup final. In this, Cup in this day final. and age, in this day and age. The, an hour for the FA Cup final is just showing all the old goals 
from the FA Cup for 60 years. You haven't even talked about today's fixture. That's minutes. just showing all the black and white. And yeah, 20 minutes of that no hour way. would be all the pre-match like pleasantries, the dignitaries, abide with me. I suppose you're right. Okay, yeah, I'll give you an hour, I'll give you an, give you an hour and a half right, for that one. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, uh, brutal from a former build-up man himself. <laughs> build-up merchant. Yeah, build-up merchant. Okay, so um, uh, I mean, Joel, Joel presumably is going to is going to walk out halfway through this because he can't handle it. But here is a deconstruction of what happens. This is the process for a pre-match build-up. Really, is rather extensive. So. We start, Joel, with the opening montage, possibly the, the most vacuous of all montages, isn't it, really? Because they haven't introduced any context. It, it, we, we launch straight into it. So it might be a poem, the worst of all pre-match montages. So, yeah, do you think we could probably do away with these straight away? Yeah, get rid. And even even the, um, you know, when they, uh, didn't they get Stormzy and I think Dave to do a little bit of preamble for the, Euro final. It's still, you know, it's still a bit rubbish. Uh, you know, they, it's not like they were bringing their A material for it, was it? Uh, otherwise, it would have been on their arms. So they're just sort of making up a load of, a load of crap. And there's you the know, sentiment's also so, so annoyingly vague as well. Like, there's nothing really specific about the game. It's just all about you know, state of mind and rivalries, destiny. Yeah, rubbish. Yeah, I don't really know who it's meant to hype up. And, oh, and then, oh, here's a load of footage of some kids in their football kit. You know, maybe they'll remember this game forever. Okay, all right. Don't care. So we can do away with that. That's fine. Get rid. I'm happy, okay? Get so rid. we're starting to chop off the, some of the flab already. Dave, next mm-hmm. up, footage of players getting off the bus. Because as listener Charlie Bin says, watching the players get off the coast slash enter the stadium... Absolutely no need for it, yet it's done for every single game. He, he's not wrong. What picture are you painting here? Yes, the players have arrived, thank God. Sometimes that's, sometimes yeah. that's up in the air. Sometimes that does need confirmation. Yeah the, only, yeah, the only really sort of editorially justified version of that is, like you say, has there been Harry Kane? This, right, if Harry Kane is in the squad on, yeah. on, the, on Sunday against Man City... Like you want to see kind of what he looks like, what sort of mood he's in, yeah. like, or if, is he in a tracksuit? Is he in a suit? Is he in the squad? Is he not? But I don't. Are the, are the fans, are the fans like having a go at him when he gets off the coach? Like that's fine. But when it's just generic, when it's Danny Ceballos high fiving Gunnar <laughs> you picked an, an Arsenal squad member about three seconds before I could. <laughs> I knew it was going to be fucking Gunnar I absolutely knew it. Fair play. Okay, so teams on the off the bus gone. Fine. So we're chopping this down by you know three minutes already. Joel, next up, introducing the pundits always feels like a um, excruciating thing. I mean, um, as Mark McKillen writes, acting as if the studio guest who played for Crystal Palace and Wolves over a decade ago has unique insight into them now. No, that's exactly it. Quite often as well, it's someone you've forgotten that they've played for both because they only did. It was like a, a sub. It was a loan appearance, or it was like three three games at the absolute end of their career um, does that qualify you, you and, qualify you for knowing a thing or two about both clubs yeah i mean you basically know what towns they're in and that's about it like you know the quickest way to the car park from the dressing room but that's about the most insight you have and also it's very rare that those people are like you know not to not to over egg pundits at how good they are at pund- but not everyone can pundit no Definitely at not. all and so it's definitely you, you're pulling from the the, the 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 sea pool and the deep pool to get you know some some weird you know 
oh, Jason McAteer's here. Great. Like, you, you, you never get in the top Abs- tier quality. Absolutely right. I want to know yeah. what website they're using, Dave, to find out, you know, the common denominators um, for all of these clubs. Because that's a, that's a spreadsheet or a website I'd really enjoy. Um, but, yeah, someone somewhere must be able to kind um, of triangulate the playing careers of I all these I think it's people. just good old-fashioned Wikipedia laborious wikipedia well, research Googling. i'm afraid Who that, has played that website doesn't exist. there's always a website <laughs> yeah. that will tell you i mean if you were a smart forward-thinking journeyman now you would start making those moves find to... out the most televised fixture and then make sure exactly. you pay for both clubs <laughs> exactly make sure you're always in a sort of you're a premier league team who's solidly going to be there mm, for the next definitely. five ten you know you you want to get a couple of appearances in a brighton shirt you want to make sure you've signed for everton at some yes, point everton, on a bosman yeah. You want to make sure you're in the mix. I think Kevin Phillips' late latter career was kind of very much the template for that. He ticked off pretty much every club in the Midlands, went down to Palace for a bit, was like a coach. Was he a player coach at Derby? He's, he's got it it's all. such a good shout because I can. Oh, the moment you mention his name, I don't picture him scoring goals. I picture him sort of sitting there with his hands clasped over his, over his groin, waiting to be asked about one of the teams in his, you know, in a slightly uncomfortable looking suit. Okay, so pundit introductions. That that's a waste of time. That's that's a good minute or two talking about why they're here. Don't need that. Then they do a bit of scene setting, which is fine. You know, you, you have to introduce a piece of programming. No problem. I'll, I'll allow a bit yeah. of scene setting. Fine. That's fine. Yeah, because, you, you, you know, you do have to build up the narrative a little bit. So that doesn't take it. That's fine. Another montage. So this is more kind of recent event-y type of montage. When did they last meet? These two know there's no love lost here, etc., etc. That's a reasonably acceptable montage, wouldn't you say, Joel? Yeah, a bit more. I would think like the last the last game they had is worth a montage, and also it is quite good to re- you know. There's so many fucking games in the season; it is actually quite hard to remember. Even those top of the table clashes, you go, "Oh god, that was actually a really good three two. Fair, fair. Very important. This will be a good match. Very important in these so montages those- that if you do pick a game that happened in the past, you have to turn the color down a little bit just to so that people know that it was. It's not now. It happened before. And if you can get some newsreaders sort of talking over the top of it um, and sort of overlap, overlapping the audio, you've nailed the uh, you've nailed the this happened in the past montage. Another, uh, then you have an ad break if you haven't had one already. Then you're then you're into the kind of medium term previewing, Dave. Which as as Joel, so how how far along are we here now? What, what on our running order? What what's the, I say you're uh, about twenty minutes in time. Yes, yeah, so you probably had a couple more ad breaks, to be honest. But um, then you're into kind of, yeah, the medium term previewing. And as Joel mentioned, I always really enjoy the, the fact that there is only one style of interviewing a footballer in the lead up to a game, Dave, which is the really, really boring interview in a very black room, but with one absurdly harsh light shining on them. I'd love to know. I'd love to, I, There's never been, there's never, ever, there has never, ever, ever, ever been a good interview in that setting. Why is that I the most can efficient you way of lighting Can you remember it? one? Do you remember a headline that's come out of one of those interviews? No, ever. No. What do they talk about? They just talk about their sort of general form, don't they? I'm just really yeah, enjoying because, my football you know, at the moment. <laughs> because you're not allowed. Having done these, having actually done these interviews, you know, they again they're great content fillers for for, for this express purpose. But you're actually specifically like not allowed to ask about you know if they if, if Harry Kane did one this week, for a start he wouldn't be put up. But if he did somehow end up being talked to he, this week, you'd get Moose. You wouldn't be allowed to ask him about. Yeah, you wouldn't exactly. You wouldn't be allowed to ask about um, 
you know about about the the transfer yeah or and, and that's a classic thing that they that, that clubs often do right and they'll 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 play dumb a little bit sometimes and i think i think every player has to do a certain amount of interviews across a premier league season right so and it's up to the clubs to kind of schedule it themselves around commitments blah 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 but like if there's a big big story going on or there's all the managers in trouble or something they'll put up the player that doesn't speak english <laughs> and with an interpreter and they know no one's going to use it <laughs> that's God, the whole thing is so dismal, isn't it? The whole, the whole process, the whole. Once you even have one glimpse into how the sausage is made, the whole thing is so dismal. <laughs> um, okay, so we can look, Joel. Happy to lose that as well, actually, um, just because. I mean, the the more we're saying yeah. this, the more my you know, c- turn it on at two fifty eight really we're, does look. We're good. getting there, but there really are does look good. there are some in, very important nuts and bolts. Um, team news comes next, Joel. That's important. That's that's information people want to know. Okay, yeah, I do know it's important, but having, you know, being the armchair fan I am and seeing as much of of people process football on Twitter as I do, um it's not as interesting as people seem to think. Yeah, it's the 11 names, but if you miss that team news, you're probably going to figure it out within the first minute anyway. It's released or a before kickoff. Like if you really want to be at the vanguard of this, that's how long your build-up's going to need yeah. to be minimum. Yeah, I just you know. I I do like that. I like it. I think I think it's. I think there's there's still something in this day and age of of obviously being able to access all the information immediately and stuff. Yeah, you could get it from Twitter. The club account will tweet it out at the same time. But I I do sort of like the immediacy and the breaking news element of it. Even if I even if correctly says nine times out of ten, there's probably no surprises. But sometimes you'll be like, oh, you've seen what Mourinho's done today. Big call. That's a nice moment. Yeah, huge call. Yeah. Huge call. So then you get the little reaction to the team news. Then another ad break. Then you get the. Then you're into the real short term. Then you're into the real kind of live aspect of it, Dave. Which is the pre-match interviews with the managers in the tunnel. Which you, I feel like mm-hmm. you get to learn a little bit more about what's going on. Mm. I mean, I mean, inevitably the first question is always, "Ah, oh, so you've picked player X. What's the thinking there?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the key, the key thing with these interviews is that they're live, right? So. This is entirely in the hands of be it uh, Des Kelly or Gabriel Clark or who, whoever or, or um, Shrevesy, whoever whoever finds themselves in the hot seat. Like it's down to them to you know how how much can how far are they willing to go? And obviously post matches a bit easier for them to push the yeah, totally. metal because they've got something to talk about. Yeah. But if there's a big if you know if it's, if it's a manager under pressure situation, if it's like you know if it's you're sacked in the morning situation, yeah. it's kind of a do you go there sort of thing or do you play it easy? Is this a must-win game for you, Graham, or is it simply a must-not-lose? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, apart from that very extreme circumstance, Joel, is there anything you could possibly hope to learn from a pre-match interview with a manager? I would argue that there's nothing you could possibly hope to learn from interviewing an athlete full-stop no, in any that. situation or a manager uh, because they're never going to give you an actual meaty storyline. They're never going to give you a hard truth. They're going to give you an incredibly media honed, trained soundbite of bland nothingness, <laughs> especially if they're under pressure. That they, they might give you a smirk, but that's about it. No, there is no point talking to a manager almost ever. There's certainly no point talking to an active playing footballer ever. They're, they're never going to give you something interesting at all. So are you talking about saying sort of recurring verbal tropes of people in football, um, not sure. Maybe, is there is there a podcast for this? I, not really in my comfort zone. Wouldn't have anything. Don't really know anything about that one. So okay. So 
at a, at, a, at a push or a shove, we could probably lose this as well. So we're pretty much, we're close to the teams coming out of the tunnel now. So we are sort of 2.56 p.m. If, if this was indeed a 3 p.m. game, which is being televised, which is not allowed, so it doesn't matter. Um, where, where do you stand? Where do you stand, Dave, on the pundit predictions slash final thoughts? Rubbish, yeah. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't need the final thought. We don't need... Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be 2-1. Yeah, I think it'll be a close one. I think it'll be a close one. We don't need that. No. Ask him something more substantial. Joe, why does, never, why does no one ever say, sort of, yeah, I think it'll be 4-1. I actually think that is what they should do. They should they should amp that bit up. Get rid of the hour of crap. Get rid of the interviews. You come in at two fifty five. Team news. Any surprises? Someone who's not been introduced to you at all goes, no, not really. Okay, now give me a fucking prediction, and they all have to put twenty quid on the table. <laughs> so at the end, so at the end, there's actually something to talk about. You go, well, you were closest with two goals, but because th- that is actually one of the only fun things in in watching live football at a stadium or watching it in the pub with people's. You can go, go on, make it out, you know, because it's that's why people like gambling in it. They like feeling that they've seen the future. That's the only fun part of thinking about a game before a game happens that's only component part of anticipating a football game that's in any way fun and they breeze <laughs> over it they should say gun to your head Roy Keane who's going to win today and then he has to say it and that's that would be fun to watch I would watch that and I would watch them talk about the bet at half time and I'd watch them rinse each other after the game also, that's, that's what they should they should Keen, do way more of way more Keen, of that. in that situation Keane would probably just dare Dave Jones to shoot him I should imagine. Imagine how nice Graham Souness's wallet is. I bet he's got a really, really nice wallet. I'd love to see that alignment. But it's like the ostrich leather, something like leather that. or something like that. Incredible. Mm, okay, so pundit predictions, ad break. Teams come out. Another ad break. That tiny little ad break. The pointless one that everyone hates because it mm. does. It does kill the vibe, Joel. Well, yeah, that does kill the vibe. And uh, you know, we were talking about music that they play on on Sky. I, I think they got it wrong last season with that that big sort of blast of Celeste every single ad break became incredible. Yeah, it was mm, too ooh. much. It became What's it going to be this season? Do we know it's, yet? It's a huge moment for That's, me. Mm. Huge moment for me. Um, I just feel like they're stuck. We've talked about this on the podcast before. They're stuck in this formula of, you know, a, a, a very bouncy pop song that suddenly becomes a cappella for no reason. And uh, because they know full well that Sky might pick it up for use on football coverage. So, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to have anything groundbreaking anymore. Um, so there's your ad but, break. Then kick off, without, finally. But without that but without that little ad break, you wouldn't have the, the Annitz Live. That's the Annitz Live mm. break, mm. isn't it? So we need something there for Tyler to be able to Where do Where do you that. stand on Annitz Live then, Dave? It's it's similar to the Alan Shearer goal celebration. <laughs> okay. It's 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 half-hearted these yeah. days. Like there's a bit, you can hear Tyler the resignation in Tyler's voice every time he says it. I think it's just how many times, how many different ways can you say? And it's like uh, I you just I think I think Tyler Martin Tyler is jump the shark proof. Joel, I don't I don't think Martin Tyler would could I, ever I, become passe. I, I I said nothing anti Tyler. I made no anti Tyler accusations. I'm a fan. But I, I don't of blame Tyler. Tyler. I don't blame Tyler. I just think he knows that he has to do it. But he probably doesn't want to. No, I, I think he, I think he's well up for doing it. I think he's well up because I don't think it's massively intrusive. If it was if it was really long and really ostentatious, and he was on camera too, then I think he would. I think he would probably start thinking against it. But it's just it's just a nice little flourish, isn't it? It's fine. It's Tyler. He's a nice guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's fine. I, I think if you came up with a catchphrase, it's so... Think think who in this country has a catchphrase anymore. Mm. Fewer than 20 people <laughs> guess would have a catchphrase. You're in rarefied air. What is the, I think what, Tyler fucking loves what it. What is the most well-known current entertainment catchphrase in the UK? I've got such a mind blank. I actually think there was... You know, we had to we had to have a bit of a catchphrase moratorium after Little Britain. You know, the Little Britain Peter K years that was a uh, that was such a time for catchphrases that no one no one could enter that club anymore. We had to have a few years off, and point. I'm not sure anyone's come out swinging like, with like with one. Ant and Deck don't have a catchphrase, no, do they? Oh, that's Ant true. Maybe that's the secret to it. I would also they, they have. I would also they do have a little jungle jungle catchphrase, don't they? Mm. They they sort of do a That's big true. Yeah. and and the you know the yeah. drone shot out. I, I would they, they have some some ticks and and tropes May, for sure. Maybe the death of the UK TV catchphrase coincided with the actual program catchphrase running out of phrases to use, and in the end they had to start using things like hat stand. Or something like that, 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 which isn't a turn of phrase; it's just a thing. <laughs> so I think I think those two things happened at exactly the same time. But that's a different podcast entirely. This one's on gone on way too long. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now. I'm telling you here. If Joel's listening, the next podcast episode of Football Clichés is going to have an hour long build up. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to introduce everyone to excruciating lengths, and then we're going to get stuck into the episode. So look forward to that one, everybody. Cheers, Joel. You've been magnificent. Thanks. I uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's been very fun. I've enjoyed it. I've I, I've been a big fan of this podcast in lockdown. So it's uh, it's a real joy to actually finally make it onto the pitch. Fantastic. And a lesson. Thanks for having me. A lesson learned for me. I'm going to start listening to people who plead to come on the podcast and, and maybe start listening <laughs> to come on. Yeah, I did beg my, my way yeah. in, didn't I? Yeah. So, begging you works. Know, begging works. Definitely works. Begging as works. long as you've got um, at least five-figure Twitter following. Anyway, thanks to you too, Dave. Thank you. Cheers. Great fun. And uh, everyone, tune in next Tuesday. No, I nearly nailed it. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, if I hadn't it, I would have got it. Okay, everyone, you can tune in next Tuesday for the next instalment of Football Clichés. Cheers, everyone. Bye. I'm Ellis James. I'm Mike Bubbins. And I'm Steph Guerrero. I would kill off with any footballer to get a Premier yeah, League game, would you? Not a problem. Ian Dowie. We've got a comedy podcast called The Socially Distant Sports Bar. It's Liverpool versus Arsenal here at Anfield. It's the big kickoff. New player, Mike Bubbins, who got off with Ian Dowie in the week. Jurgen Klopp, of course, said that he's perfectly happy to play Bubbins in a front three alongside uh, Salah Firmino. Bubbins, 48 years of age, has never played football, but he snogged Ian Dowie for two and a half to three minutes as stipulated. According to Premier League guidelines, Dowie said he's got no idea how good Bubbins is word on the street is that he's not great he's morbidly obese it's about sport but not really he's not fit and he doesn't know where to stand his face touches woeful and I mean woeful but he got off with the end how he those are the rules son it's a, it's a, new, it's a new guy that I don't agree with it Gary don't agree with it none of the explanations shut <laughs> I'm gonna die. <laughs> Download it from wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Athletic.